0: Well, welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. Mark Mattis of Grandview University. He'll be speaking on building bridges, faith's impact on politics.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's hard to call you all back because one of my favorite things about church is coffee hour. So I, there's nothing in me that could want to interrupt coffee hour at all. And uh, I want to say how much I really appreciate you as um, as a, an audience, as a group. I, uh, this section, I, I've long figured this out. This, this part of, of Mount Carmel is, is educational. And um, for people who don't like school, chances are you're not gonna like this. Um, I'm a school junkie. That's, it was really hard for me. Um, and I think, how did I ever become a school junkie? Um, I, I could go on about this. I, I actually, when I was a little tyke, I couldn't imagine anything more wonderful or delightful than school. I mean, my goodness, you get to go to school and there's recess. And then and then in just a little bit, there's lunch. And then after that, there's another recess. And then on Wednesday, there's heavenly lunches. There was chili and cinnamon rolls. And nothing, it seemed to me, could ever be as good as that. Um, I was not the kind of, of little boy that, that could sit still. Uh, they have diagnoses for that. But I can tell you, that back in 1964, there were no such diagnoses. And and even though I would have to sit with my face towards the corner on a stool, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times, And even back in those days, can you imagine the cruelty, wearing a little hat? Hard to believe. None of that dampened my love for school. It's just like, oh, I can't wait to go back. <laughs> I, if I can keep on with this, you know, like, like in fourth grade, fifth grade, I'd get tests back, and they'd be just circled in red ink. You know, we're actually told not to do that. Don't use red ink. But in those days, they quite freely used red ink, and it would, you know, the tests were like, what is a noun? What is a verb? What is an adverb? And I, I'd look at it, and I'd go, how did I get a D or an F on this, but I don't even remember ever learning any of this. I I don't, where my brain was, it was definitely not there. I am so, there's so many people in your life that come into your life that make a a, a difference. Um, It was a man, Mr. Britt. He was from Alabama and just had a thick Alabama accent. Uh, He taught math. I was like a D student in math, but he he opened his, his door up in the afternoon uh, anybody who wants help, I was smart enough to figure out to go get help, and he drilled me and drilled me and drilled me. I became an A student in math, and and having done that, yeah, thumbs up. It 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 it, it built up my confidence that I realized I forgive my language. I'm not a dumb person. It, it's I didn't know that, but I didn't know that until I worked with 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 Mr. Britt and any number of teachers. And so I continue to love the fellowship side of school. I still, I still love that, but, um, but it, it also built up my confidence. So all that said, I hesitate to ever draw people away from, from coffee fellowship because I, I repeat, that is one of my favorite things. Um, uh, yesterday, I was so grateful for back rub. Uh, Kathy, Kathy, who who is sitting here, gave me the back rub, and she quietly whispered to me. She said, oh, my goodness, I think you're a little tense. (laughs) To which I think I said, you think? (laughs) Only once have I given this presentation to any audience or group. It was to a nice group of Presbyterians. They were so nice, they didn't want me back. (laughs) That's always a signal to me that, you know, so then when Jonathan says, well, what do you think your topic would be? What was I thinking, you know, this faith and politics thing? It was a year ago, but um, and he asked, I'm so grateful to Jonathan, actually. And what I've learned over the years, quite frankly, and this is really true. I know you don't believe it, but I know it's true. And that is that, that really the teacher is only as good as the students or the class. That, you know, we do course evaluations. Um, I always, forgive me, I kind of balk at it because it wasn't done at St. Olaf and it wasn't done at University of Chicago, it wasn't even done at Luther Seminary. And, and so I kind of balk bulk at it. I, I'm not entirely on board. I've, I've been balking at it, but it doesn't do any good. Um, but, but that's one thing I tell the students, is you're really, the, 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 you know, the te- they think they're evaluating the teacher, but in fact, it's a group experience. Now, I think the teacher can help or the teacher can hurt, I have no doubt about that. But it makes a huge difference where your peers are at. And if your peers are very engaged and very positive and with it, even if the teacher is kind of flaky or, or not really on track, it makes, it makes a huge difference. So all that said, um, again, I love school. You figured that out. I love school. You know, I love the beach down there. But honestly, this is my favorite part of things. And not just because I'm up here. If I were a camper like you, this would still be my... My favorite part. So, if you can indulge me or be gracious to me as a teacher, this is very typical for me. So, uh, to say what I'm going to say now, uh, which is, um, I know you had a, a good night. There was a movie. Y'all looked like you slept well. Some of you were playing board games. Uh, you weren't too rowdy. I, I, I don't. There, nobody called called the Alexandria police. It looked like you're having tremendous fun. Uh, tell me, what do you remember from yesterday? I know it seems like a long time ago. May Anybody remember anything? Yeah.
0: I have the privilege of being here with 11 dear, dear friends from my congregation. And the thing I'm going to remember from yesterday was not only your teaching, but we went to the dining hall, and I sat with these friends, and we had a conversation that we've never had before and we respect one another. No one threw me out of the group, so to speak, <laughs> because I said one thing or another. Um, I think that it's opening doors for us. Oh, good.
1: Yeah. Us. Thank you, I appreciate People that. I, I, yeah, um, I really, I'm honored with your comment. Um, how about, I, I'm looking, I'm fishing uh, for, for, I really am honored by the comment. Any specific things that you might, might remember? I, what you're saying is so important. Because that's those those are the social skills that are so important to me. So so this really honors me that this the social skills are extremely important. I any any I'm I I'm wanna like also focus on content. So I have a couple of hands up over here. The history of the Puritans and the Quakers and the founding of our nation. Yeah. Was something I didn't I did not know about and I'm I'm a history buff also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was grateful to say that name Hansen. I, I sometimes not everybody's a Lutheran here but a, but a, a bunch of you are. I sometimes wonder if all these founding fathers and mothers would have been Hansens and Jensen's, <laughs> Rasmussen's, you know, Schmidt, you know, what, what would our history have been like? But it definitely is not that. Those names don't, don't float up anywhere, quite frankly. You know, maybe here in Minnesota. Yeah, there's another. Yeah, please.
0: Your analogy of the elephants that we're all riding, that yep. was enlightening to me. Yeah. That your viewpoint depends on if you're a Puritan or Enlightenment or yep. forget the secular and so on, and how we are different kinds of people and therefore. See, according to what we are
1: yeah yeah so I'm hoping I I'm I'm so grateful for the Anoka group and I'm so grateful to hear about your conversation and I'm hoping that a metaphor like elephant and rider can help gel as close as you are uh, that it helps even gel you further because part of it is if if my elephant is a little disturbed with your elephant okay but I realize okay that's just the elephant it's not the writer. Is that making sense? Then, then I can calm myself. I can calm myself. Um, it, it's everything I say, I understand there's a comeback and a very good comeback. Um, many of us here, uh, with all of our background in the Bible, many of us would think about Ephesians 6, is it? Put on the full armor of God. Uh, I mean, it, and that's why I said... It's a, it's a discernment. You need to discern where you can and should compromise from where you cannot compromise, okay? So an extreme kind of analogy or comparison is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, I go back, I think of years ago when I did language study in, in Germany, and one of the people I knew was a woman who at that point was about 84 years old, uh, Frau, uh, Frau Sandwald. Uh, Her husband had been uh, the equivalent of the bishop, the superintendent is the German word in Baden-Württemberg. And um, he was a card-carrying Nazi. I don't think that should be surprising. Uh, And I asked Frau just what was it about Hitler? And she says, you had no idea what it was like. She she said, I had five children, we had no money to, to buy coal for the winter, we froze. We, we had no money to buy adequate food. We had no adequate money for education. Hitler comes along and everybody has jobs. You, you wondered about us liking Hitler? Of course we like Hitler. Is it making sense what I'm saying? Yeah, so her husband, a Lutheran minister, at least a Protestant Lutheran, it's a union church in, in Baden-Württemberg, so um, he, uh, he, he got ahead by being a card-carrying Nazi. Um, Interestingly, he had studied at Harvard University, very atypical for a German academic. It was very common for American students to go to Germany and study, not at all common for Germans ever to come to this country. But he is actually considered a Harvard alum. And that was a big debate. How can we at Harvard University honor a man who's a Nazi? That was a big debate. And what, what, what permitted them to do that is by 1941, his conscience got to him. He knew what was happening to the Jewish people. His conscience started to eat him up alive. And at that point, 1940, 1941, he, he disowned the Nazi party. Even as the bishop or the German, the, the superintendent, uh, th- this was the common thing that was done to Protestant clergy in Germany. If you went that route, then um, he was drafted and sent to the Russian front. And here he is, he's he's a little academic with a bow tie. You know, he he died within about six months. So he didn't survive uh, uh, very long out there. So a man like Bonhoeffer, a heroic man without a family, it might be a little tad easier for him to have done the heroic stance he did as opposed to if you were a woman or a man with a family that you had to think about. I'm not, I'm not trying to justify it at all. I'm just trying to say that those are the complexities of life where you as an individual have to figure out, your, prioritize your responsibilities. Because once this man spoke out against the Nazis, he was just sent to his death. Yeah, not, not a death as they did in Nazi Germany. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Sophie Scholl. Uh, Sophie Scholl was the young nurse along with her brother and several others, they were members of what was called the White Rose, where they, 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 they distributed leaflets throughout the University of Munich, criticizing the Nazi regime, saying how bad it was, and because they, they were very much the whole family. Her father, who, who is a mayor in, uh, of a little town in, in Bavaria, uh, they were all very pro-democratic uh, a, a Germany, not, not a Hitler Germany. But... Um, yeah, they were caught, and of course they, they were all executed, um, and it was beheading that was done in the the um, in, in, in in the not Nazi times. So a person has to decide for how we're all we're all compromising. We're all unfortunately cutting deals in life in a way, and we're also all compromising to a degree with with our our conscience. You know, I I had a very pleasant chat. Last evening, I happened to be very, have strong sympathies about the environment. Um, I'm I'm a member of the International Luther Congress, and I I came back from Europe planning for uh, the, I'll get to you, I know, I'm sorry, but I promise, I promise, I promise, okay? No, I really do promise. Uh, But let me just finish up with this. Because because uh, it's going to be held at California Lutheran College. In part, the Germans want it there. The Germans, especially German my age, they love cowboy and Indian movies. And so anything with I, I can see the Germans. I hear these professors from Leipzig and Jena and Berlin, and they want to go to Disneyland and put on little little uh, Mickey Mouse hats. I mean, I'm going like you're a world famous German academic, and and this this is. What your life is about, okay, well, I back off. Because the Americans weren't all that thrilled. We think California, we think traffic, we think fire, we think earthquakes. And so we're a little bit less thrilled about that. But, but, but that's what they want to do and they get their way. Um, and so, um, now where was I going with this? This is the problem with, what was the environment? Yeah, thank you. So, so the, 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 the contact down there in California Lutheran, school won't be in session. So they have to use plastic, is what we're being told. We'll have to use, for a week, a plastic plates. That is just as, I don't know if you've been to Germany, but Germans don't do that. Germans don't do that. I remember where I served in uh, northern Wisconsin. I, I used to have, uh, Richard Saray used to was from Austria, used to teach at the um, at Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. So Richard Sarray, George Farrell had a cabin up there. George was a very good friend this is back in the day. So we used to go out and we'd have brats. Can you believe that from German-speaking people? Brats? Right. Yeah. Okay. But Sire would serve brats, yummy brats, and, and warm German potato salad and all that kind of stuff. But, and you'd sit outdoors, and it would be on the finest china. <laughs> you know, okay, here you have some Austrian china. You're sitting out there. I mean, you, you just don't use paper plates or throwaway. They don't do it. That's me. I mean, I'm just like, you know, the Germans said a big point. They're, they're not comfortable with this. Well, don't look at me. I'm not comfortable with it either. That is, you know, the toss-away, toss-away plates. Is, is that making sense? So I, I just, it's part of my concerns about the environment. I, I want a future not just, not just for my grandson, but I want a future for people 500 years from now, 600 years from now, 1,000 years from now. If our Lord does not return uh, at, at any time in that period, I want, I want a future. So, zip, and uh, please.
0: Um, our takeo- one of the takeaways that was repeated when we had our conversation, that God is in charge. Yeah. And we need to remember that. Yeah. As well as the elephants.
1: Right. Yeah. That's the hardest thing, because, um, again, whatever our, our Christian background might be here, uh, we're all, how many are you from Minnesota? How many of you might not be from Minnesota? <laughs> where, where are you? you're from Montana? And, and, is it Montana? And, where were we born? Huh? Yeah. yeah, you weren't born here, yeah. Where, where are you from? North Dakota? North Dakota, North Dakota. North Dakota. and yeah, I, in the back? I'm- oh, yes, <laughs> yes! That's where the tall corn grows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but uh, I feel so good because I've experienced
0: the like
1: forty years of <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'm I'm so I love coming to Minnesota, but I'm glad I don't come enough to hear all those those jokes, but yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah it... All of us here come out of environments where people feel a heavy sense of responsibility. Yeah. And because of that, it's really hard to let God be in charge, right? I mean, how could God, you know, God does a pretty good job, but with me, it could really. (laughs) So, you know, that's one of the hardest things that I think we deal with, please. Along with God
0: is in charge, is being reminded that. God loves all of
1: the others
0: <laughs> as well as us. I mean, yeah. the people that we get so frustrated yeah. with and whatever.
1: Yeah, the sermon was so good. I, I could just close shop and God, we could have an extended God loves our hour. enemies. Yeah, yeah, extended coffee hour. Yeah. Yeah, please. One thing
0: that happened yesterday, uh, because he used one of my favorite quotes about... Uh, Walking for a mile in someone else's moccasins, sure. yeah. and, which is what we've done, and and I'm sitting here just really loving this because yeah. my name is Gunderson now. It has been for 56 years, but I will always be of German bloodline, uh-huh. and and I'm I'm rather enjoying the whole thing, and uh, I actually felt a real, and I still do, a personal responsibility for the 40s, which are, I was born in 42, but. Um, I've read enough books and and what you said today helped me with that a little bit. You have no idea unless you've walked in someone's moccasins what you would do because I've ended up reading any number of of, uh, quite true life stories about the Second World War and what was going on and you think, what would I do? How would I handle this? Mm-hmm. You know, It's just impossible uh, a lot of you are my age, but you know we didn't learn about the truths of the Second World War uh, mm-hmm. along the way, and I had uncles serve in it. And it's learning the truths about the war when you're adult and you think, "Oh my God, how did that happen?" Mm-hmm. And that blood flows in my veins. So love is the magic word, right? Yeah. After you put your moccasins yeah. down.
1: Yeah, yeah, Maybe just one more, if there is one more, and then because then I'm I I I have enough material as if I, I, my mind is not wrapped around that we're not in a full week. So I, I I this is a condensed sort of thing, and I believe I have enough for a week and then some. So, so. Oh, okay. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Say, Mark, I have to remind you, I'm 100% German, so be careful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I, I have a
0: story from World War II. I was yeah. born then yeah. and in that era, and when I was a first grader, when I went to school, I spoke German only. I knew my name, that's all. Wow. But because I was German, I'm not sure how many people know that, but the Germans really suffered in America after yeah. World War I yeah. was punished for talking German by my teacher, and I had a, my friend and I had to be in Reese's, out of recess for a whole week. Yeah. I did not know why that was happening yeah. until I was older.
1: Right, I'm Scandinavian on my mother's side. On my father's side, I'm German, and and had my my German side stayed in Wisconsin, my grandfather stayed put in Merrill, Wisconsin, where East Merrill, you, there's you never would have had to have spoken English ever. they they're they're, they're all 2,000 people that lived on the east side of Merrill all were fluent in some dialect of German, and every last one of them was somehow connected with Trinity Lutheran Church, one way or another. So and he moved out west where, in, to a community where there was hardly any German people, and so I grew up with hearing with my uncles what was said they had to do the buddy system, meaning that you could not be alone because there was fist fights, potential knife fights, So, um, uh, between, especially between the German kids and kids of Belgium background. So, it just, um, it, it, I grew up hearing such stories, and that does, that does affect, to some degree, how I think about immigration issues, naturally. So, um, thank you all very much. The, the, the one thing I really appreciate uh, about the walking in, in moccasins, if there's one thing I ever learned from my father, it was that. That was a phrase that he repeated over and over and over. So that's the one takeaway I, 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 I have from him. That was just a very important thought. I have a whole bunch to get, get to today. Um, and I might not get to all of it, and that's okay. Uh, it is a priority for me to have uh, Mount Carmel rolls. Um, <laughs> I know it's not a priority to you, but it is definitely a priority to me. So we're going to go about 15, 20 minutes, and then we'll have another break um, so I'm gonna make a beeline to somehow get, get one of those rules. I wanna put some ideas out there because unfortunately my time is so limited. I, I have so much to bring up, but, but it is what it is. And um, a, a lot of what I'm saying is proposals. I'm proposing. That doesn't mean I don't believe in truth. I do believe in truth. But as I propose, human behavior is a mystery. St. Augustine, who is, in my judgment, the greatest of all Christian teachers other than St. Paul, in in his great book, The Confessions, he has a delightful phrase where he says, humanity is a great mystery. It's one thing in the wider Catholic tradition to talk about the Holy Trinity as a mystery, or the mystery of love, or the mystery of the Incarnation, or the mystery of the Atonement. St. Augustine would have affirmed all of that, but he also says humanity is a great mystery. Our tendency is to want to demystify humanity and we do that largely through statistics. That is what percentage of people do this, what percentage of people do that. Or perhaps we take, forgive me, a spit test um, that, that tells us our genetics. In other words, we want to map all things, that's part of our control. Much good happens from that. Somewhere out here there is ragweed. How do I know that? Because my nostrils tell me so. And I am so grateful that I live now and not when my grandparents live because I can use Flonase. And if it's not Flonase, it's other pills and stuff. And I even have to go, go get shots. I'm grateful that, that we want to decipher things so that can contribute to health. I'm very grateful for that. The other side of the fence is though I do believe that St. Augustine is absolutely right. Humanity is a great mystery. And that's why when we deal with humanity, we also need to deal with some awe and some respect and, and, and uh, recognize to some degree our, our limits. So I throw out proposals for you to think about. This is a proposal from Jonathan Haidt about why is politics so nasty? Because it does seem to be nasty. When I was uh, praying this morning, um, it struck me, the last time when our country felt truly unified. Do you remember it? 9-11, 9-11, I'll never forget. The day after 9-11, I had to drive up to the Twin Cities, I was passing through Ames, and over, the over one of the overpasses over Interstate 35, students were holding a huge, giant American flag, draped over. I'm certain that's illegal, but I don't think, I don't think that any Iowa State trooper was there on the day after 9-11. To, to take them to, to the county jail. Uh, I, tears just came to my eyes. Tears came to my eyes. I'll never forget that week teaching a night class to mostly adult learners where one woman in tears, why do they hate us so much? Why do they hate us so much? Um, you can try to give an intellectual answer to, to such things. It, but I go back and I think about this question, is, is America a Christian nation? Part of that I'm trying to situate where, because different sides of the aisle. There's going to be a tendency that, that some, not all Republicans, are going to say, yeah, this is or should be a Christian nation. There's going to be a tendency that some, not all Democrats, are going to say, no, this is not. And so that does become a kind of political issue, and that's why I like to get the history out there to think about it. But, um, but um, it, it, an Indian... An Indian if you ask an india indian in india is america a christian nation what are they apt to say yeah or if you were to go to dubai and ask somebody in dubai is america a christian nation yeah they're going to say yeah and they're also going to say this and look how bad christianity is the amount of pornography that america produces is so outrageous that is proof that Christianity is a bad religion. No, I mean, you could push them. Well, what would you know about pornography? Uh, you could push them in that way. I mean, well, how, is, this, is this something you have experience with? But, but the, the point is, is that, is that um, is, it's, it's uh, we're gonna get more into this this morning, but certain cultures have, are way less individualistic. They have a more of a tribal perspective. Chances are, to some degree, you have a tribal thing. Uh, do, you, do you root for the Vikings or for the bears? <laughs> Chances are that's going to say a lot about your tribal loyalties. So it's not, it's not like we have somehow evolved beyond tribes, even if we're very individualistic in this country. We still have some sense of, of, a, of a kind of tribal identity. But other places, it might be far stronger than, than us. So um, So... To talk about, one piece I want to get out there as a proposal is this, Um, why politics is so nasty today is I go back, I I bring up my 94-year-old mother who uh, was back in 1944 a Rosie the Riveter. My mother is a very tiny uh, woman, she continues to be a, a tiny woman. Um, but, but when she was 16, she could squeeze into the nose of a Boeing plane, and she could rivet. She could rivet. That was her contribution. She did eventually finish high school, but high school wasn't, wasn't always a priority in the family that, that she grew up in. In that family, the vast majority of, of, of the oldest generation, they made it through eighth grade. That was the goal. High school wasn't, you make it to eight, eighth grade, at, at least for the men folk, and then you go out and work. That was was the norm, at at least, on my mother's side of the family. Um, So, um, that's called the greatest generation. The greatest generation had a number of things that bonded them, whether you tilted more towards the right or more towards the left. The fact that you had gone through the Great Depression, I bring up again my mother. Uh, Her feet, three of her toes, are deformed. Why? Because she was forced to wear the same pair of shoes for three years in a row at the time that that a girl's feet are growing, yeah, it's deformed. Why? You they just you know you can have these shoes or no shoes. That's that's your choices. These shoes or no shoes. Um, had she not lived on on a kind of a truck farm, I guess you'd call it, they they probably would have starved. In my father's side of the family, had they not hunted for deer and uh, rabbit and oh my goodness, squirrel. I just, nothing in me can quite come to enjoying a, a fresh squirrel roast. I'm sorry, but I find it really humorous. Um, so focus, Mattis, focus. I'm focusing. The focus is this. That generation that went through the Great Depression, and the Second World War, they bonded. And they had to develop skills to get along with one another even if they tilted a little bit more to the right, a little bit more to the left. And when you look at presidents like a Democrat like Truman or a president like Eisenhower, they're a little bit hard to tell the the difference. And Eisenhower, Republican, is the one who invents the phrase military-industrial complex, and that's a bad thing. Right? That's a bad thing in his. his. And forgive me, but I would add military-industrial, and I'm an educator, but I'd actually add education. Sorry about that. But but to agree, that's that's what our major universities are getting so much money for is for what we call defense. Oh, you better believe it, better believe it. My brother-in-law works with NASA down in Huntsville. Yeah, he, he's done experiments over the years with crystal growth on when they sent rockets up into space. And why? In case we ever go on some kind of interstellar flight, elsewhere. So, it, looking at how crystals d- develop and grow and whatnot, well, that—that's. Can we make inferences about what the human body would do? Were there ever a flight to Mars, say? So that oldest generation found ways of bonding. Baby boomers, my generation, just—I got to watch my language. But they're—they're they're really poor. My generation is really poor. There is not those shared experiences. I never shared the Great Depression. I never shared. Uh, the Second World War that bonded us. And in many respects, the Vietnam War, which I remember, uh, really divided our nation in a lot of ways. So the baby boomer generation has not taken over the baton that, that the, the, the greatest generation had in Americans finding ways to get along with one another. So in my opinion, this is one of the most um, challenging aspects of why our politics are so unpleasant is a lot of the leaders are my age and they simply don't have the social skills. This is why I used the word talking about the Anoka group lunch yesterday, to, to have these social skills. To me, that's really, really important. So, so there's a kind of developmental delayedness, I guess, in my, my generation that contributes to some of this. All that said, I'd like to also bring up a couple of stories before break, true stories. Four years ago, I was teaching a a summer school class. Uh, We actually have a required course in diversity and it can be taken any number of different ways. When I teach it, it's normally religious diversity to look at at different religious groups. And it's kind of fun because the the students go out there at at different places um, and learn about different things and they they report back. But uh, with other teachers teaching it, it, it's in different, different ways. So in this class, which was an early morning class, it it was a summer school class, and there was a tad bit more adult learners or mature learners than than the typical 20-year-old. There were two people in this class. One was a 37-year-old young man who had served in the military. He lived on an acreage south of Des Moines and uh, with a wife and three children. He had been working on building his home it could be—I don't remember exactly—that the children were being homeschooled. He came uh, out of the very conservative Church of Christ tradition. Uh, that's the southern version of what would be the Disciples of Christ, which is largely in the north. So it's a—it's a—it's a very conservative uh, Christian perspective. Okay, that was his background. He had served in the military. He was very pro-American, pro-God, pro-country. Uh, Pro libertarianism—that is, that uh, the side of the Republican Party he would side with is libertarian. That is, you you are responsible for yourself; nobody else is responsible for you. You're responsible for yourself. There was a young woman, about 24 years old, uh, self-described as bi, currently in a relationship with a man, um, and she was as opposite the political spectrum as this fellow was in his way. These two in class would go after, I'll say, it. They would, they would just... It was like, you know, these little toys. They, this existed when I was a little kid. I always thought it was a cool toy where there's this boxing guy, these two boxing guys, and you get to, you, get to, you know, uh, kind of manipulate the boxing. That's what these two were like. They would go after it, and after it, and after it, and after it and after it. it. For me, it wasn't a waste of time. And I'll tell you why it wasn't a waste of time. For, for two reasons. First reason, after every class, one of them would approach the other in a calm, actually sweet manner, and say, did I go too far? If it wasn't the man, it would be the woman. Then secondly, in class while they were doing this, they were strikingly diplomatic and kind. They had strong pushes, but, but, but they, were, they were respectful of each other. There was no name calling, that wouldn't be permitted anyway. Things would we'd have to close shop, and I'd have to report things to the dean if there was. And we should we should. Otherwise, it would. It's not. It's not. That's not an educational experience. So, um, but they were very very respectful. So, um, I I throw I put that out there. Second thing. Second story. True story. This has been a busy summer for me. I was as you mentioned. As I mentioned, I had been in Europe prior to that. I was in Ethiopia. Um, You know. uh, People asked why I wasn't at family camp here earlier when my wife was here. Well, it's because who knows where I was. But I wasn't here, and largely because I, I was elsewhere. Um, in Ethiopia, uh, I was invited, along with our campus pastor, Russell Lackey, uh, to give graduation addresses. We were invited by uh, the, the fiery and famous um, Ethiopian evangelist, Gamatius Buba, Emmachus Buba works with the North American Lutheran Church on, a, I think, a third time basis. He might be director of evangelism with it. If you've never heard him, he is dynamic. He's a dynamic preacher. Um, and the characteristics of church life in Ethiopia tend to be dynamic. I, I grew up in a church where we, you know, just kind of always sat there. Uh, but uh, he's really spirited. So he invited me to give an address to a graduating class. Uh, to the Theological College and Russell gave an address to the Business College for MBA students. It was really a privilege to go there. One of the highlights was meeting two Americans who were there. The Americans were there negotiating with uh, Buba. Buba isn't just a great evangelist, he's also an entrepreneur. He not only has founded these schools, a, a car rental place, something else, and he is interested in the coffee business. Ethiopia is the mother of coffee. These two men came, they, why to Ethiopia? What drives these two men is this. What they told me is this. They said, there is what is called fair trade coffee. But they said, even with fair trade, there's still cuts that go into middle people, middlemen, middle people, okay? The one man was from Honduras, a devout Roman Catholic raised an incredibly poor village in Honduras. His family ended up in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, a place I know very well. This man had worked himself he was I don't know all the business terms but he was the lead he was in charge of Sarah Lee. Frozen foods, right? Can I say this? He wasn't poor? He took an early retirement in his 50s. He was in his 50s, okay? His buddy was 75, had fought in the Vietnam War. Uh, Both men were living in suburban Georgia, about 70 miles north of the center of Georgia. And um, this man had founded what's called extended stay hotels to the tune of 450 hotels. So I had a nice flight with Ethiopian Airlines because, quite frankly, their food is good. I, I, I give them a thumbs-up for food. These men came over on a private jet, naturally. Yeah, Both officially retired. Okay. The 75-year-old was something of a religious skeptic. He had a strange relationship with religion. One thing, he, he wasn't raised in the faith, and what he despised... Is Georgia Bible Belt Republicans. And here he is surrounded by them. I, I said, well, you could move to Iowa. I mean, you know, got you know, plenty of space in Iowa, you know, but that did, that did for one reason, that he didn't find that appealing. The Honduran built himself up by the bootstrap. You almost have to think like a Marco Rubio or a Ted Cruz to the degree that the one man was a very strong Democrat. The Honduran was a strong Republican, yeah, Catholic but a Catholic Republican. I watched these guys because they were just playing fun in, in multiple ways. I mean, when, when people are, are this successful at business, I always figure there's something even at my age, going into 61, that I have to learn from these guys. Um, And these guys, as opposite as they were politically, as friends they were like this. They were buddies. They had each other's backs and they were committed to this endeavor that we were going to deal with the farmer directly and make certain that she or he gets the money. The man from Honduras, I know what it's like to grow up in poverty, have nothing. They had a drought in Honduras where they weren't able to grow coffee. He built them a huge reservoir. And you can do it. And that reservoir has then helped, helped them cope in these villages. So again, I give this as an example of two men on opposite sides of the aisle, and there was no doubt that they were on opposite sides of the aisle. I really actually enjoyed the religious skeptic. I, I've been dealing with kids, college kids for 25 years, it's like, bring it on, baby. I mean, is that, is that all you got? I, I, more. It, 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 um, it, it, what I liked about him is he was very open-minded. He, he held out a possibility of truth in, in faith. He just wasn't ready to take the plunge. Um, he's gonna, they're going to be on our campus in early September to talk to Sodexo. I'm hoping they can make progress with Sodexo. So uh, I would be really happy if that's possible. So I give you these two stories to me which are almost somewhat heroic about people who are able, um, in spite of being on opposite sides of the fence, uh, to, um, to work together. And you are supposed to remind me of something. Yeah. What? Carmel, Carmel yes. Is, that, is it okay? I'm really enjoying this, but let's take a break, okay? Because we got the rolls out there, folks. We got the rolls.